Hey friends, how's it going? Uh, welcome to Open Lines with Holly and Mark. Only uh, right now it's just Mark, and only just for a few seconds. Uh, this, and I got to tell you, there's a lot of scheduling things going on right now, and with the heat of the dog days of summer, it's uh, it's really taken its toll. So these last these last week and this week and maybe even next week, um, I've actually really been enjoying listening to something other than uh, my own voice. I love hearing Holly's voice, but I hate having to hear my voice all the time. And and so today we're going to listen to um, some Jack Kerouac. I, 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 I think as you hear him read his own writing, uh, you and if you're familiar with my writing, you'll kind of see uh, he's been a great influence on me and my writing. And I just I just kind of love the way he 
he channels in the moment uh, the uh, stream of consciousness um, f- sort of flow to his writing is, is kind of the same approach I take to channeling readings so let's go ahead let's listen to that and maybe next week we'll have a guest uh, maybe the mercury retrograde will still be in full effect and we will uh, have problems with uh, scheduling again and missing people and uh, but if you want to be a guest please feel free to DM me on open lines radio at Art Bell is Dead, and uh, come on, come up, come be a guest next Thursday night, and we'd love to talk to you. So uh, this is Jack Kerouac, um, and some readings on the Beat Generation. I think you're gonna like it. Now it's jazz. The place is roaring. All beautiful girls in there. One mad brunette at the bar, drunk with her boys. One strange chick I remember from somewhere, wearing a simple skirt with pockets. Her hands in there. Short haircut, slouch, talking to everybody. Up and down the stairs they come. The bartenders are the regular band of Jack and the heavenly drummer who looks up in the sky with blue eyes, with a beard. He's wailing beer caps of bottles and jamming at the cash register and everything is going to the beat. It's the beat generation. It's bayat. It's the beat to keep. It's the beat of the heart. It's being beat and down in the world and like old-time lowdown. And like in ancient civilizations, the slave boatmen rowing galleys to a beat and servants spinning pottery to a beat. The faces. There's no face to compare with Jack Mingers, who's up on the bandstand now with a colored trumpeter who outblows him wild and dizzy, but Jack's face overlooking all the heads in smoke. He has a face that looks like everybody you've ever known and seen on the street in your time. Sweet face, hard to describe. Sad eyes, cruel lips, expectant gleam, swaying to the beat, tall, majestical, waiting in front of the drugstore. A face like Hunky's in New York. Hunky, whom you'll see on Times Square, somnolent and alert, sad, sweet, dark, holy. Just out of jail, martyred, tortured by sidewalks, starved for sex and companionship, open to anything, ready to introduce a new world with a shrug. The colored big tenor with the big tone is blowing sunny stitch clear out of Kansas City roadhouses. Clear, heavy, somewhat dull and unmusical ideas which nevertheless never leave the music. Always there, always far out. The harmony too complicated for the motley bums of music understanding in there. But the musicians here... The drummer is a sensational 12-year-old Negro boy who's not allowed to drink, but can play. Tremendous, a little lithe, childlike Miles Davis kid, like early Fats Navarro fans you used to see in Espan Harlem, hep, small. He thunders at the drums with a beat which is described to me by a near-standing connoisseur with beret as a fabulous beat. On piano is Blondie Bill, good enough to drive any group. Now Jack Minger blows out and over his head with these angels from Fillmore. I dig him. Now he's terrific. I just stand in the outside hall against the wall. No beer necessary with collections of in-and-out listeners with Bernie. And now here returns Bob Berman, who is a kid from West Indies who barged into my party six months earlier with Dean and the gang, and I had a Chet Baker record on, and we hoofed it at each other in the room. Tremendous. The perfect grace of his dancing, casual, like Joe Lewis, casually hoofing. He comes now in dancing like that. Glad. Everybody looks everywhere. It's a jazz joint and beat generation mad trick. You see someone, hi. Then you look away elsewhere for something, someone else. It's all insane. Then you look back, you look away around. Everything is coming in from everywhere in the sound of the jazz. Hi. Hey. Bang. The little drummer takes a solo, reaching his young hands all over traps and kettles and cymbals and foot pedal boom and a fantastic crash of sound. Twelve years old. What will happen? San Francisco, San Francisco, you're a muttering bum in a brown beat suit, 
can't make a woman on a rainy corner. Broken plastic coverlets flapping in the rain to cover newspapers all printed up in plain. Guys with big pockets and heavy top coats and slit scar, headbands down the middle of their hair, all Bruce Barton combed, Stan surveying Harrison, Folsom and the ramp, and the red brick clock, wishing they had a woman with some money, honey. Westinghouse elevators are full of pretty girls with classy cans and cute pans and long slim legs and eyes for the boss at a quarter of four. Old age is an Indian with gray hair and a cane in an old coat tapping along the rainy street to see the pretty oranges and the stores on his big day when the dogs let out. Praised be man. He is existing in milk and living in lilies. And his violin music takes place in milk and creamy emptiness. Praised be the unfolded inside petal flesh of tenderest thought. Petrels on the follying wave valleys idly sing themselves asleep. Praised be delusion, the ripple. Praised be the holy ocean of eternity. Praised be I, writing, dead already and dead again. Dipped in ancid inkle, the flammed of Tim, the Anglo-Oglo-Saxon maneuvers of old poetos. Praised be wood, it is milk. Praised be honey at the source. Praised be the embrace of soft sleep, the valor of angels and valleys of hell on earth below. Praised be the non-ending. Praised be the lights of earth, man. Praised be the watchers. Praised be my fellow man for dwelling in milk. And you know, in the ocean, there's a very sad turtle. Even though the SS mainline fishing ship is reeling in the merit like mad, swims long-mouthed and sad, looking for the impossible except once afternoon when the yoke, oh, the old booty yoke, set a-floatin', is in the water where the turtle raises his be-watery snop to the sea, and the yoke yokes the turtle of eternity. Tell me, O oh, bhikkhus, what are the chances of such a happening? For the turtle is old and the yoke free. And the seven oceans bigger than any we see in this tiny party. Chances are slender. In a million, million, billion coties of eons and incalculables, yes, the turtle will set that yoke free. But till then, harder yet are the chances for a man to be reborn a man in this karma earth. Friday afternoon in the universe, in all directions, in and out, you got your men, women, dogs, children, horses, pones, tick pools, pals, pails, parturiences, and petty thieveries that turn into heavenly Buddha. I know, boy, what's I talking about, because I made the world, and when I made it, I know I had a Lucian Midnight for my name and concocted up a world so nothing you had forever thereafter make believe it's real. Well, that's all right, because now everything will be all right, and we'll soothe the forever boys and girls, and before we're through... We'll find a name for this darn golden eternity and tell a story, too. And, but you ever read a story as vast as this that begins Friday afternoon with working men on scaffolds painting white paint? And ants murling in little black dens? And microbes warring in your kidney? 
and Mesaruli's microbing in the innards of mercury, and microbe microbes dreaming of the ultimate microbehood, which then ultimates outward to the endless, vast, empty atom, which is this imaginary universe, ending nowhere, and never even born, as Banke well polled when he ferried his mother over the rocks to twat UT and people visit his hut to inquire, what other planet features this? And he answers, what other planet? Though the sounds of the entire world are now swimming through this window from Mrs. McCartiola's twando and old Polk's home drunk again, and of course you hear the cats wailing in the whale bar, wild bar, wart fence, moonlight, midnight, Lucian, Dolophine, immensity visions of the Tatagata seat of purity and womb. And so that here is all this infinite immaterial, meadow-like golden ash swim swarming in our enlightened brains, and the silence shifallying in our endless ear, and still we refuse naked and blank to hear what the who, the who... To what you will say the diamond boat and persipine, recipine, milltown, heroine, and fac matches the silver ages everlasting, swarm swallowing in a simple broom, and at night you raise the square white light from your ghost beneath the root drinking tree, and coyote won't hear you, but you'll ward off the inexistent devils just to pass the time away, and meanwhile it's timeless to the ends of the last light year. It might as well be getting late Friday afternoon where we start so those old six are done and drink his beer and tweak his children's eyes. Oh, he was quite racy. Real estate queen. Europe and Niles. For pleasure. Stomp, stomp, absolute rays making noise. I can write about them, but I can't punctuate them. Then he said, comma, comma, comma. That skinny guy with black hair. Atlian rage. In India in the last year, he's getting even, ignoring all common publications and getting Urdu-nothing Sanskrit by Sir Yak-Yak-Yak, 40-page thing, Norfolk. Let's all get drunk. I want to take pictures. Don't miss with Mrs. Lately and trust picture-picture-pithy-lisp. That's an artistic kit for sex. Trying to think of a rule in Sanskrit. Mama, Sanskrit-sounding, obviously. Twins coming in here. Meltown, Equinel, Myopa, Pate, Watacha, Pimana, Kawaya. You get sticky ring weekends. And wash the tub, bub. I'll be gentle like a lamb in the Bible. Beautiful color, your lipstick. Thanks, honey. Got a match, Max? Taxi crabs and murder cycles. Let's go to Trilling and ask him. I gotta wash my conduct. Don't worry about nothing. I love Allen Ginsberg. Let that be recorded in heaven's unchangeable heart. Either way, rapples. Call up, uh, so-and-so. Who's that? Sui Delia. And there came the picture of Ang Bong the Bila. Wait, wait for something. The bee slime. Then the ants will crawl over bee land. Ants and bands wailing neath my bloody owl pants, owler pants, ta-da-ba-dee. He thinks I'm competitive in the long, pleasant souse of wishing all of ye bleed, stay, meditation, everybody, martini, destroy my black. Alan, you better voice the stare, this beer, these room sandwiches. Where did you get these, big, greasy socialists? Are you gonna conk, Alan? Mighty tall in the saddle. Anybody got a sigi-boo? The moon is a piece of tea. Under the empty blue sky, vertebrate zoology. Bop began with jazz, but one afternoon somewhere on a sidewalk, maybe 1939, 1940, Dizzy Gillespie or Charlie Parker or Thelonious Monk was walking down past a men's clothing store on 42nd Street of South Main in L.A., and from the loudspeaker they suddenly heard a wild, impossible mistake in jazz that could only have been heard inside their own imaginary head, and that is a new art. Bop. The name derives from an accident. America was named after an Italian explorer, not after an Indian king. Lionel Hampton had made a record called Hey Bob, a Rebop, and everybody yelled it, and it was 
when Lionel would jump in the audience and wail his saxophone at everybody with sweat claps, jumping fools in the aisles, the drummer vastly booming and belaboring on the stage the whole theater rocked. Sung by Helen Humes, it was a popular record and sold many copies around 1945 or 46. First everyone looked around, then it happened. Bop happened. The bird flew in. The mines went in. On the streets, thousands of new-type hepcats in red shirts and some goatees and strange, queer-looking cowboys from the West with boots and belts. And the girls began to disappear from the street somehow. You uh, no longer saw, as in the 30s, the wrangler walking with his doll and a honky-tonk. Now he was alone. Rebop, bop, came into being because the girls were leaving the guys and going off to be middle-class models or something. And Dizzy or Charlie or Thelonious was walking down the street, heard a noise, a sound, half Lester Young, half raw rainy fog that has that chest-shivering excitement of shack or track or empty lot, the sudden vast tiger head on the wood fence, rainy no-school Saturday morning dump yards. Hey! And rushed off dancing. On the piano that night, Thelonious introduced the wooden off-key note to everybody's warm-up notes. Minton's Playhouse. Evening starts. Jam hours later. 10 p.m. Colored bar and hotel next door. One or two white visitors. Some from Columbia. Some from nowhere. Some from ships. Some from Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. Some from Europe. The strange note makes the trumpeter of the band lift an eyebrow. Dizzy is surprised for the first time that day. He puts the trumpet to lips and blows a wet blur. Hee-hee-ha! Laughs Charlie Parker, bending down to slap his ankle. He puts his alto to his mouth and says, Didn't I tell you? With jazz of notes. Talking eloquent like great poets of foreign languages, singing in foreign countries with lyres by seas. And no one understands because the language isn't alive in the land yet. Bop is the language from America's inevitable Africa. Going is sounded like gong. Africa is the name of the flu and kickbeat off to one side. The sudden squeak uninhibited that screams muffled at any moment from Dizzy Gillespie's trumpet. Do anything you want. Drawing the tune aside along another improvisation bridge with a reach-out tear of claws, like Why Be Subtle and False. The band of 10 p.m. Mintons swings into action. Bird Parker, who was only 18 years old, has a crew cut of Africa, looks impossible, has perfect eyes and composures of a king when suddenly you stop and look at him in the subway, and you can't believe that Bop is here to stay. Or modern music, call it what you will, that it is real, and that Negroes in America are just like us, we must look at them understanding the exact racial counterpart of what the man is and figure it with histories and lost kings of immemorial tribes and jungle and fellaheen town and otherwise and the sad mutts sleeping on old porches and big Edinburgh woods where just 90 years ago old Roost come running calling Maw through the fence he'd just deserted the Confederate army and was running home for Pone and flies on watermelon porches and educated judges in horn-rimmed glasses reading the Amsterdam news. And the band realized the goof of life that had made them be not only misplaced in the white nation, but misnoticed for what they really were. And the goof they felt stirring and springing in their bellies, suddenly Dizzy spats his lips tight drum together and drives a high, screeching, fantastic, clear note that has everybody in the joint look up. And Bird, lips hanging dully to hear is turning slowly in a circle, waiting for Diz to swim through the wave of the tune in a toneless, complicated wave of his own grim-like factories, in a tonal at any minute, and the logic of the mad. The sock in his belly is sweet, the rock zonga-monga-bang. In white-creamed afternoons of blue, 
The bird had leaned back dreamily in eternity as Dizzy outlined to him the importance of becoming Muslims in order to give a solid basis of race to their ceremony. Make that rug swing, mother. When you say race, bow your head and close your eyes. And give them a religion no Uncle Tom Baptist. Make them wearers of skull caps of respectable minarets in actual New York, picking hashi dates from their teeth. Give them new names with zonga sounds. Make it weird. Thelonious, he was so weird, he wandered the twilight streets of Harlem in winter with no hat on his hair, sweating, blowing fog. In his head, he heard it all ringing. Often he heard whole choruses by Lester, or Bird, or Dizzy, or Bags. There was a strange English kid hanging around Minton's who stumbled along the sidewalk hearing Lester in his head. Hours of hundreds of developing choruses in regular beat all day, so in the subway no dissonance could crash against unalterable choruses and implacable bars. He erected in mind's foundation jazz. Now the tune they were playing was all the things you are. They slowed it down and dragged behind it a half-tempo dinosaur proportions, changed the placing of the note in the middle of the harmony to an outer, more precarious position, where also its sense of not belonging was enhanced by the general atonality produced with everyone exteriorizing the tune's harmony. The clonk of the millennial piano like anvils in Petrograd. Blow, said Diz, and Charlie Parker came in for a solo with a squeaky, innocent cry. Monk punched, anguished, nub fingers crawling at the keyboard to tear up foundations and guts of jazz from the big master box. To make Charlie Parker hear his cry and sigh. To jar the orchestra into vibrations. To elicit gloom from the doom of the, the black piano. He stared down wild-eyed at his keys like a matador at the bull's head. Groan, drunken figures shaded in the weaving background, tottering. The boys didn't care. Because on cold corners, they stood... Three backs to one another, facing all the winds, bent, lips don't care, miserable, cold, and broke, waiting like witch doctors, saying, everything belongs to me because I am poor. Like 12th century monks high in winter belfries of the Gothic organ, they wild-eyed were listening to their own wild sound, which was heralding a new age of music that would eventually require symphonies, schools, centuries of technique, Declines and falls of master ripe styles. The Dixieland of Louis Armstrong, 16, in New Orleans, and the Big Pops Forest. Jim in the white shirt wailing at a big scarred base in raunchy, nongry New Orleans. On South Rampart Street, famous for parades in old Perdido Street. All that was mud in the river, Mississippi. Pasts of 1910 gold rings. Derby hats of workers. Soon enough, it would leap and fill the gay 20s like champagne in a glass. Pop! and crawl up to the thirties with tired Rudy Valleys lamenting what Louis had laughed in the twenties transoceanic jazz. Sick and tired early Ethel Mermans and old beat bed springs creaking in that stormy weather blues when people lay in bed all day and moaned and had it good. The world of the United States was tired of being poor and low and gloomy in a line. Swing erupted as the depression began to crack. It was the year marijuana was made illegal, 1937. Young teenagers took to the first restraint, the second, the third. Some still wandered on hobo trains. Lost boys of the 30s numbered in the hundreds of thousands. Salvation armies put up full houses every night, and some were 10 years old. Teenagers alienated from their parents who have suddenly returned to work and for good to get rid of that damn old mud of the river and tear the rose vine off the porch and paint the porch white and cut the trees down and castrate the hedges, burn the leaves, build a wire fence, get up an antenna, listen... 
the alienated teenager in the 20th century, finally ripe, gone wild, modern to be rich and prosperous, no more just around the corner, became the hepcat, the jitterbug, and smoked the new law weed. World War II gave everybody two pats of butter in the morning on a service tray, including your sister. Up from tired, degrading swing, wondering what had happened between 37 and 45, and because the army would worked it, canned it, played it to the boys in North Africa, enraged it in the Piccadilly bars, and the Andrews sisters put the corn on the can, swing with its heroes died. And Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, and Thelonious Monk, who were hustled through the chow lines, came back remembering old goofs, and tried it again, and zop. Dizzy screamed, Charlie squealed, Monk crashed, the drummer kicked, the bass question mark plunked, and off they wailed on salt peanuts, jumping like mad monkeys in the gray new air. Hey, pork pie, pork pie, hey, pork pie. Skiddily stoop, sop up, sop They came to their own, they jumped, they had jazz and took it in their hands and saw its history, vicissitudes and developments and turned it to their weighty use and heavily carried it clanking like posts across the enormity of a new world philosophy and a new strange and crazy grace came over them. Fell from the air free. They saw pity in the whole of heaven, hell in their hearts. Billy Holiday had rocks in their heart. Lester Droopy Pork Pied hung his horn and blew bop lazy ideas inside jazz at everybody dreaming. Miles Davis leaning against the piano, fingering his trumpet with a cigarette hand working, making raw iron sound like wood speaking in long sentences like Marcel Proust. Hey, Jim. And the stud comes swinging down the street and says he's real bent and he is down and he has a twisted face. He works, he wails, he bops, he bangs. This man who was sent stoned and stabbed is now down, bent, and stretched out. He is home at last. His music is here to say. His history has washed over us. His imperialistic kingdoms are coming. So there we were at the Red Drum. A table full of beers, a few, that is, and all the gangs cutting in and out, paying a dollar quarter at the door. The little hip pretending weasel there taking tickets. Paddy Cordovan floating in as prophesied, a big, tall, blonde, brakeman-type subterranean from eastern Washington, cowboy-looking in jeans, coming into a wild generation party, all smoky and mad. And I yelled, Paddy Cordovan? And yeah! And he'd come over, and we're all sitting together, interesting groups at various tables, Julian, Roxanne, a woman of 25, prophesying the future style of America with short, almost crew-cut, but with curls, black, snaky hair, snaky walk. Pale, pale, junky, anemic face, and we say junky when once Dostoevsky would have said what, if not ascetic or saintly, but not in the least, but the cold, pale booster face of the cold blue girl, and wearing a man's white shirt, but with the cuffs undone, untied at the buttons, so I remember her leaning over talking to someone after having slinked across the floor with flowing, propelled shoulders, bending to talk with her hand holding a short butt, and the neat little flick she was giving it to knock ashes, but repeatedly with long, long fingernails, an inch long, and also orient and snake-like. Groups of all kinds in Ross Wallenstein, the crowd, and up on the stand, Bird Parker, with solemn eyes who'd been busted fairly recently and had now returned to a kind of bop-dead city, but had just discovered or been told about the red drum, the open door, the great new generation gang wailing and gathering there, so here he was on the stand examining them with his eyes as he blew his now settled down into regulated design crazy notes. The booming drums, the high ceiling... And Adam, for my sake, dutifully cutting out at about 11 o'clock so he could go to bed and go to work in the morning after a brief cutout with Patty and me for a quick 10-cent beer at Roaring Pantera's, where Patty and I, in our first talk and laughter together, pulled wrists. Now Mardu cut out with me, glee-eyed between sets for quick beers. 
but at her insistence at the mask instead, where they were 15 cents, but she had a few pennies herself, and we went there and began earnestly talking and getting height tingled together, and now it was the beginning. Returning to the red drum facets to hear Bird, whom I saw now distinctly digging Mardu several times also myself, directly into my eye, looking to search if really I was that great nut I thought myself to be, as if he knew my thoughts and ambitions or remembered me from other nightclubs and other coasts, other Chicago's. Not a challenging look, but the king and founder of the bop generation, at least, the sound of it, in digging his audience, digging the eyes, the secret eyes, him watching, as he just pursed his lips and let great lungs and immortal fingers work, his eyes separate and interested and humane, the kindest jazz musician there could be while being and therefore naturally the greatest. Watching Mardu and me in the infancy of our love and probably wondering why or knowing it wouldn't last or seeing who it was would be hurt, as now, obviously, but not quite yet, it was she whose eyes were shining in my direction, though I could not have known and now do not definitely know. But the latest, and perhaps really, next to Mexico and the jazz high, I'll tell in a minute, best vision, also on high, but under entirely different circumstances, was the vision I had of Neil as he showed me one afternoon in January on the sidewalks of Workaday San Francisco, just like Workaday Afternoon on Moody Street in Lowell, when boyhood buddy funny guy G.J. and I played zombie piggybacks in mill employment offices and workmen's saloons. The Silver Star it was. And what and how the three stooges are like when they go staggering and knocking one another down the street. Moe, Curly, who's actually the ball-domed one, big husky. And meaningless goof, uh, though somewhat mysterious as though he was a saint in disguising a uh, super-duper witch doctor with good intentions, actually. Can't think of his name. Neil knows his name, the bushy, feathery-haired one. And Neil was supposed to be looking after his work. We just blasted a pint in the car as we drove down the hill into wild mid-market traffic and out third past the little Harlem, where two and a half years ago we jumped with the wild tenor cats and Freddie and the rest. I dig the little Harlem in rainy midnights coming home from work in the black slouch hat from the corner, the pale, pretty pink neons, the modernistic front, the puddles so rosy glowing at the foot of the entrance the long, arrowing, deserted Folsom Street, which, as I hadn't remembered in my back-east reveries, runs straight into the far lights of the Mission or Richmond or whatever district, all glitters in the indigo distance of the night, to make you think of trucks and long halls to pass a Robles, Bleak Obispo or Monterey, or Fresno in the mist of highways, the ones with an end which is water orients and the empurpled Golgothian panoplies of Pacific Bowl and Abyss, Past the dingy bars with their incredible names. Colored bars like Moonlight in Colorado. That's one actually in Fillmore. Or Blue Midnight or Pink Glass. And inside it's all wretched raw brown whiskey. And mauve boilermakers. Past Mission Street earlier too before Folsom with his corner conglomerate of bums or sometimes lines of dragged winos so torpid that when pretty women pass they don't even look even though they're waiting in line to give blood for four dollars at Cutters so they can cut off and buy wine and brandy for the embarcadero night if they do look it's accidental and they seem to be too guilty to look at ordinary women only steamboat annies of pier front bouges with knots in their sticks for calf muscles and haggless tooth marks in their purply gums yeah bums of mission and howard that live in miserable flop hotels like the skylark in denver that neil and his father old neil pomeray the tinsmith lived in and from which they took there are Sunday afternoon walks together hand in hand and amiable after the previous Saturday night's hassles over his over-drinking wine and the ceremonial saved-up 
evening movie. So he'd snore at usher close-up time and lights on in the showhouse would reveal to shuffling audiences of whole Mexican and Archie families the sight of one of their fellow Americans a bit under the weather in a seat. This being the capper to a whole day of Saturday joys for little Neil, such as reading the Count of Monte Cristo while his father worked in the busy weekend morning, clean up at the Skylark, and a regular good meal in a fairly good restaurant in late afternoon. Then maybe a moment's lingering with the majority of non-celebrating Saturday night bums wrangled around in seated positions in the sitting room the longer winter nights of which Neil endured aiming spitballs at plaster targets and at celestial ceiling cracks as big old clock talkity-talked the January's away and like in a movie the calendars flapped and still the land and the man survived stood fixed and immovable in a blur flap of white pages representing time usually the man was Neil's dad the land, Colorado, the occasion and occupation, hope, good boy hope for a change. But now it's May, and they're going to a show and saying good evening to the bums who sit in state over this old thing, just like French sewing sisters in the provincial town. May, and Larimer Street is hum-buzzing with that same excitement, that same countrified, wrangly, sad toot and tinkle of old mainland shopping streets in Charleston, West Virginia, with all its spotted farmer cars ranged and the canoa flowing in the southern railroad town with moils of activity as sun-tortured five and tens across from the tracks, awnings, nations of Negroes lounging by beater stores in near the tobacco warehouses flashing aluminum lights in the southern day fire. And Los Angeles, when the parade goes up and down both sides in the cracked old crazy John Gaunt from a rackety house in the telegraph grove outside the Bakersfield Flats with his entire brood of nine packed and pushed up to the torn, flat-bass, black tarpaulin roof of his fantastic, ancient 1929 touring imperial Buick with the wooden spokes, two of them cracked in a side rack for spares like a snail's shell goof on the running board. Old John Gaunt and Ma Gaunt with her overalls in sorrow has to wait while Paul gets his fill at the shooting gallery at South Main, two blocks from Sister Mata Park's it's May, and little Neil and old man go cutting together into the adventures of a hard-won evening, and one which, of course, like all life, is doomed to tragic, unnameable, to make you speechless and sad-faced forever death. Just as I used to hurry with my father in May dusks of Saturday, towards unspeakable seashores with lights before them, and swooping spaces fit for gulls and cloud scuds, towards ramps of yellow sulfur lamplight, overdrives, sudden dank side alleys, when there came among the greases and irons and black dust of ramps and cobbled avenues like the avenues of factories in Germany, those secret chop sueys from Boston Chinatown to make my mouth water and my thoughts hasten to the wink of Chinese lanterns, hung in red doorways at the base of golden tinsel porch steps leading up to the Mandarin secrets of within. So when Neil dreamed of being Christo thrown in the sea in a bag, I was kidnapped in Shanghai and orphaned to strange but friendly old Chinaman who was my only contact with hopes of returning to my former life, orphaned in the interesting old void, eh? May night on Larima, when the sun is red on green storefronts and Army-Navy suits by the door and makes a ray and a frazzle by an empty bottle, foot of a hydrant, illuminates the reveries of an aged lady in the window above the windows of empty storerooms. 
She looks on wine coop, wazee in the rail. We passed Third Street and all that and came driving slowly, noticing everything, talking everything, to the rail yards where we worked and got out of the car to cross the warm, airy plazas of the day and there particularly with a fine soot scent of coal and tide and oil and big works, a fly across haze oil shimmers, the tar soft under shoe, noticing how great the day and how in the experience of our lives together we were always finding ourselves in a golden, sleepy, good afternoon just like fishing. Well, really like the afternoons that must have been experienced by the noble son of his host, Nestor's friend. Wild night charioteerings across the ghosts and white horses of phallic classical fate in the gray plain to the sea. Rewardful afternoons for tired winners. Caresses of cups and figs in the lull of heroes. Just like that, Neil and me. Only American, and Neil saying, Now, damn it, boy, you got to admit that we're high and that was real good wine and more instant and interesting. And always happening and everything always all right. We sauntered thus. Come in the green clunker for some reason. Wore our usual greasy bum clothes that put real bums to shame. But nobody with the power to reprimand and arrest us in his house began somehow talking about the Three Stooges. We're headed to see Mrs. So-and-so in the office and on business, and around us, conductors, executives, commuters, consumers, rushed or sometimes just maybe ambling Russian spies carrying bombs and briefcases, and sometimes rag bags, I bet. Just foolishness. In the station there, the creamy stucco suggestive of palms like the Union Station in L.A., with its palms and mission arches and marbles, is so unlike a railroad station to an Easterner like myself, used to old red brick and soot irons, exciting gloom fit for snows, and voyages across pine forests to the sea. Well, at that great station out there, I ran over that ice that morning en route to Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh, so unlike a railroad station, that I couldn't imagine anything good and adventurous coming from it. We, in our youth, had spent goof hours around railroad stations. In fact, the last time I was in Lowell, we staggered and laughed past the depot to the nearest bar and jumped and whooped over four-foot snow banks to boot, bareheaded and coatless. But here, nothing. Only bright California gloom and propriety. I suppose because Neil works for them there. Nothing but whiteness and everything busy. Officialists say Californian, no spitting. Uh, you know, you're at the carven arches of a great white temple of commercial travel in America. If you're going to blank your cigar, do it on the sly. And so on. But really, when it came into Neil's head to imitate the stagger of the stooges, and he did it wild, crazy, yelling in the sidewalk right there by the arches and by hurrying executives, I had a vision of him which at first, manifold it is, was swamped by the idea that this was one hell of a wild, unexpected twist in my suppositions about how he might now in his later years feel, 25, about his employers and their temple conventions. I saw his, again, rosy, flushing face exuding heat and joy, his eyes popping in the hard exercise of staggering, his whole frame of clothes capped by those terrible pants with six, seven holes in them and streaked with baby food, ice cream, gasoline, ashes. I saw his whole life. I saw all the movies we'd ever been in. I saw for some reason he and his father on Larimer Street not carrying in May. Their Sunday afternoon walks hand in hand in back of great baking soda factories and along deadhead tracks and ramps at the foot of that mighty red brick chimney a la Chirico or Chico Velasquez throwing a huge long shadow across their path in the gravel and the flat. Supposing the three stooges were real. So I saw them spring into being at the side of Neil in the street right there in front of the station. Curly, Moe, and Larry. That's his name, Larry. Moe, the leader. Mopish, Mowbray. Moat-mouthed, mealy, mad, hanking, 
making the others quake, whacking Curly on the iron pate, backhanding Larry, who wonders, picking up a sledgehammer, honk, and ramming it down nozzle first on the flat pan of Curly's skull. Boing! And all big dumb convict Curly does is muckle and yuckle and squeal, pressing his lips, shaking his old butt like jelly, nodding his jello fists, eyeing Moe, who looks back in at him, eyeing Moe, who looks back at him and with that lord and surly, Ah, what are you going to do about it? On the thunderstorm eyebrows like the eyebrows of Beethoven. Completely iron-bound in surls. Larry, in his angelic, or rather, he really looks like he conned the other two, let him join the group. So they had to pay him all these years a regular share of the salary to them who worked so hard with the props. Larry, goof-haired, mopple-lipped, lisped, muxed, and completely flunk, trips over a pail of whitewash and falls face-first in a seven-inch nail that remains embedded in his eye bone. The eye bones connect to the shadow bone. Shadow bones connect to the luck bone. Luck bones connect to the foul bone. Foul bones connect to the high bone. High bones connect to the air bone. Air bones connect to the sky bone. Sky bones connect to the angel bone. Angel bones connect to the god bone. God bones connect to the bone bone. Mo yanks it out of his eye and pales him with an eight-foot steel rod. It gets worse and worse. It started on an innocent thumbing, which led to backhand, then the pastries, then the nose yanks, blap, bloop, going, going, gong. Now as in a sticky dream set in syrup universe, they do muckle and moan and pull and mop about like I told you in an underground hell of their own invention. They are involved and alive. They go haggling down the street at each other's hair, socking, remonstrating, falling, getting up, flailing as the red sun sails. So... Supposing the Three Stooges were real. And like Neil and me, we're going to work, only they forgot about that. And tragically mistaken and inter-allied, began pasting and cuffing each other at the employment office desk as clerks stare. Supposing in real gray day, and not the gray day of movies and all those afternoons we spent looking at them in hooky or officially on Sundays among the thousand crackling children of peanuts and candy in the dark show and the Three Stooges, as in that golden dream B-movie of mine around the corner from the Strand are providing scenes for wild, vibrating hysterias as great as the hysterias of hipsters at jazz at the Philharmonics. Supposing in real great day you saw them coming down 7th Street looking for jobs as ushers, insurance salesmen, that way. Then I saw the three stooges materialize on a sidewalk, their hair blowing in the wind of things. And Neil was with them, laughing and staggering in savage mimicry of them and himself staggering and gooped, but they didn't notice. I followed him back. There was an afternoon when I found myself hung up in a strange city, Maybe after hitchhiking and escaping something, half tears in my eyes, 19 or 20, worrying about my folks and killing time with a B-movie, or any movie, and suddenly the Three Stooges appeared, just the name, goofing on the screen. And in the streets, they're the same streets as outside the theater, only they are photographed in Hollywood by serious crews like Joan Crawford in the fog. And the Three Stooges were bopping one another, until, as Neil says... They've been at it for so many years in a thousand and climactic efforts, super climbing and worked out every refinement of bopping one another so much that now, in the end, if it isn't already over, in the Baroque period of the Three Stooges, they are finally bopping mechanically and sometimes so hard it is impossible to bear, wince. But by now they've learned not only how to master the style of the blows, but the symbol and acceptance of them also, as though inured in their souls, and of course long ago in their bodies to buffetings and crashings in the rixy gloom of 30s movies and B-short subjects of that cracked kind that made me yawn at 10 a.m. in my hooky movie of high school days 
intent I was on saving my energy to, for serious-jawed features, which in my time was the cleft jaw of Gary Grant. Stooges don't feel the blows anymore. Moe is iron. Curly's dead. Larry's gone. Off the rocker. Beyond hell and gone. So ably hidden by his uncombable mop, in which, as G.J. used to say, he hit a Derringer pistol. So there they are. Bonk, boing, and there's Neil following after them, stumbling and saying, Hey, look out! Hook! On Laramel or Main Street or Times Square in the mist as they parade erratically like crazy kids past the shoeboxes of simpletons and candy corn arcades. And seriously... Neil talking about him, telling me at the creamy station, under palms, the suggestions thereof, his huge rosy face bent over the time and the thing like a sun in the great day. So then I knew that long ago, when the mist was raw, Neil saw the three stooges. Maybe he just stood outside a pawn shop or hardware store or in that perennial pool hall door, but maybe more likely on the pavings of the city under tragic rainy telephone poles and thought of the three stooges suddenly realizing that life is strange and the Three Stooges do exist, that in 10,000 years that all the goofs he felt in him were justified in the outside world and he had nothing to reproach himself for. Bonk, boing, crash, skiddly-boom, pow-slam, bang, boom, wham, blam, crack, frap, kerplunk, clatter, clap, blap, Fap, slap, map, splat, crunch, crouch, bong, splat, splat, bong. <laughs> <laughs>